0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today we're continuing our coverage of Star Wars Rebels Season 2. Today we're talking about Episodes 8, 9, and 10. All that and more after commercial break. We have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. I'm joined by uh, Mr. Riki Hayashi. Sarah's not feeling too well tonight, but we do have Riki here. Ricky, how are we doing today? Well, I'm excited to be talking about Rebels. I Mm
1: -hmm. am also kind of excited about Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, that's a different uh, that's a different part of this universe.
0: It it is a different part of this universe, and we're we're kind of holding back on these Rebels episodes. I'm not sure exactly when this will go out, but at the time we're recording, we've just finished watching um book uh, chapter six of Book of Boba Fett has come out. We're getting ready to go into chapter seven. but just because we haven't gotten to have you on, let me just start by asking. So overall, kinda how are you feeling about Boba Fett? I like it a lot. It's, there are elements of it that I am kind of skeptical
1: of or questioning. Like
0: mm-hmm. At
1: this point, the last two episodes, we've gotten very little of Boba Fett. It kind of did a right. sidetrack into The Mandalorian, which is, I, I love that character. I, I want to know more. And it was exciting. But I, I, I'm wondering, like why did they do that? Um, you know, we don't, I don't, I personally don't really need a reminder of that. Um, bringing him in to help Boba Fett and Fennec Shan is fantastic, but I don't think we needed like a whole two episode arc for him to do that. They could have just called him up and said, Hey, come to Tatooine.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. I, I, am loving it. I, I'm kind of thinking that to some extent what we might be getting is like, Turning all of this into kind of an ensemble show, in that like one of my frustrations often with both the the Netflix MCU verse, but even more so the Disney Plus verse, is all these shows were supposed to be happening at the same time in the same universe, but they never really overlapped or interacted much. And I, I kind of like that. Like, you know, it does maybe to some extent we need to stop calling it Mando or Book of Boba Fett and just call it like you know Tales of the Bounty Hunters, whatever, and just. Sometimes you get a Mando arc, and sometimes you get a Boba Fett arc, and sometimes you get a Fennec Shand arc, and sometimes you'll get a Paul Sun Young Lee flying his X-Wing as a traffic cop arc, you know? Um, so I,
1: I agree <laughs> that it's fun to have this connected web of shows. Mm-hmm. However, um, th- this, is, this is similar to a problem I'm having with the DC Arrowverse television okay. shows, <clears> is throat> that throat> right now I'm watching Legends of Tomorrow, To catch up on it and then every season the arrowverse does a crossover where they all come together for a big you know quote-unquote crisis like in the comics Mm -hmm. and some of them have been called crisis but if you're watching like legends of tomorrow all the way through and you get to the crossover episode it it's hard to follow as a one-of because what they do on the tv show is each show that week is part of the crossover so you have to watch yeah. you know like in order like Flash, Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow, Batwoman. And so if you only watch the Legends episode it kind of doesn't make sense unless you watch yeah. them all together and especially on Netflix there's no way for me to do that. I would have to look up you know what mm-hmm. episode number of each show that is that season and kind of go and try to watch them individually and it's right. it's very disruptive to you know binging a show. And I don't want the Star Wars stuff to go down that path where it's like if you are just watching Book of Boba Fett, and then you get to these two episodes and you're like, "Who's this Dinjarin? Who's Grogu?" Right? Like if you haven't somehow watched those shows, it, it would be very disruptive to the narrative. I, I mean, it is disruptive yeah. to the narrative as is.
0: I I can see that. I feel like I, I definitely agree with you about the Arrowverse. I think I I didn't mind as much as you did because I just, I just love the crossover stuff so much, especially when they let um Supergirl and Flash start singing together. But that's just because I love them both on Glee. Those two actors from Glee. But um I I feel like at least this it's not like it is sequential seasons. You know, so it's like you're never going to be in a situation where you have to like watch four episodes of Mando and four episodes of Boba Fett. It's just you know. You watch a full season of Mando, a full season of Boba Fett, a full season of you know, Mando, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I think for me it, would, it wouldn't it would make sense to have Mando just show up on Tatooine without giving us all of this backstory stuff. But I can definitely see I, – I, I think it's a fun new way – I think they're finding a new way to explore it that I hope is going to address some of the concerns you have. But I certainly think it can fall into those concerns. I mean it's you – know, it's, it's it's experiment. Yeah. We'll have to I, see, where it, see where it goes. For me,
1: the first episode was okay because, like, mm-hmm. he comes back to Tatooine because, uh, uh, Peli has told him, you know, I got a ship right. for you and they fix a the ship and all the action takes place on Tatooine, right? Like, he goes through Beggar's Canyon and we get that callback to the pod race, you know, which fits with the whole Naboo fighter as well. Right. Then the second episode you know, goes off and, and <clears throat> does the Grogu stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that that's when I was like, this is too much. This is too much mm. uh Mandalorian
0: Fair. on okay. this show. I, I just I loved everything about that episode that I just didn't care. But I I can totally see how where you're coming from. Well so what have you been liking about Book of Boba Fett so far? Um Well, I really
1: enjoyed the uh sorry, the Tuscan. The Tuscan yeah. tribe stuff. It's I I, I have, well, I have conflicted feelings, right? Because it is kind of similar to like the Dances with Wolves Mm
0: -hmm. slash
1: Avatar thing where.
0: Last Samurai kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, they accept
1: the outsider. And then I I did not like that they they got slaughtered, right? Like, we use the term fridging often in fandom, Mm -hmm. originally from comic books. And they just fridged a whole tribe of people that we had gotten to know and like. After two or three episodes, and I, I wish we would gotten more of those characters. You know, the kid, the the tribal mm-hmm. leader, the woman who helped him, uh, trained him, right, in, in combat. So I I wanted that to be like when we get to this part where they're like the mm-hmm. pikes are coming. You know, we need allies. I would have wanted them to still be around. And be able yeah. to be part of this, and maybe like other Tuscans will be part of it, but it won't be the same as having the Tuscans who helped him
0: yeah i I, I agree there and I went through such a kind of mixed journey because <clears throat> at first, when there's that episode where he helps the Tuscans fight off the the pikes on the train um it felt to me a lot like um dances with Wolves last Samurai, you know the outsider who gets to be more Tuscan than the Tuscans and all that, yeah. <clears throat> Then with the next episode, like, I hated them being slaughtered like that. To me, though, it, it did at least do one thing, which is that I, I felt like it at least redeemed the last the sort of last samurai um, dances with wolves part, because the whole point was that he screwed up, that he that their deaths were entirely hit because he didn't know enough about the situation. He did insert himself trying to be kind of a. Like it's often a white character with other um, human racial groups. In this case, he's not white, but it's a it's a human savior complex yes. with, with non humans, yes. um, but trying to be kind of like the human savior, the equivalent of white savior. Mm-hmm. And so I liked that they critiqued that. It felt to me like a critique of the Dances with Wolves story, but I definitely thought that would mean that because it. There were, the number of bodies there were not the number of Tuscans we'd met, and so I certainly thought that he was going to wind up meeting the Tuscans who'd escaped, or there, there was going to be more Tuscan connection in the story. And I've definitely been missing that. Um, and like I would have loved it if he had gone and like found them again, and like had those connections and really developed them as characters for this big battle that's coming in the last episode. Yeah. I would hate it if he just rounds up a couple of Tuscans who we never really get to know and they just become cannon exactly. fodder. Because then exactly. to me, that would be the exact worst thing. Um,
1: like the fact that they re- recruit Din and then he in turn recruits Cobb Vanth, you know, I love right. that connection. And then, like, yeah. missing the Tuscan part of that is, is kind of, you yeah. know, where it falls off for me.
0: The one hope that I have is I know we're getting another show set on Tatooine, granted in a different time period, but the Obi-Wan show is supposed to come this year. So I am very much hoping that that show at least will go a lot deeper into exploring Tusken characters and Tusken culture because, yeah, they opened up this wonderful door and it's been frustrating that they haven't gone through it further.
1: Yeah, I, I think the portrayal of the Tuscans was more respectful than they have been in the past. Yeah. Know a la mm-hmm. Anakin just slaughtering them and mm-hmm. Padme being okay with it. Right. It right, is one of the most problematic things in Star Wars, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, how how is she just like, oh yeah, you just like genocided a tribe because, yeah. I mean, he was mad and certainly like that is a feeling to be explored. But yeah, I, I think they treat in that movie attack of the clones they treated the tuscans as subhuman and not worthy yeah. of respect and, and that was a problem
0: yeah most definitely so yeah and we'll definitely um we're doing coverage of the book of a also on this podcast uh you hope you've heard those episodes already or if not check them out but once the show is done we're definitely going to get uh sarah and ricky back to 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 talk in depth about that show and kind of go over it because i think there's so much we'll go in deeper but today we are talking about rebels so we will kind of jump yeah. back in history um back because that story is taking place about nine years after the battle of yavin we're jumping back about 13 years to like four years before the book of yavin uh and we've got three great episodes uh that are kind of uh they're each individual standalone episodes but i think they're all kind of just more great storytelling uh mm-hmm. this season two i think is where rebels really hits its stride as being just a great show um what are kind of your overall thoughts on these three episodes before we're going to dive well, into each one individually
1: I think we're establishing that I am the the lover of tech in Star yeah. Wars, so we get a really fun tech episode in this one, um, mm-hmm. where we are introduced, I guess, to the Interdictor Cruiser, right? Um, so we'll talk about that. I'm I very excited about that one,
0: and then the, there's some other stuff that happened. I don't know. <laughs> uh huh. So all right, well, let's go through episode by episode. Uh, so the first one is called Blood Sisters. Uh, the summary is, Sabine is sent by Hera to acquire an unknown information courier. She goes with Ezra and Chopper, and they find that the courier is a clunky droid. They then encounter <laughs> Ketsu Onya, uh, voiced by G- uh, Gina Torres, fantastic actress, um, an old friend of Sabine's, who works as a bounty hunter and is now after the droid. When some stormtroopers begin to fire at them, Sabine and Chopper steal a ship and go off planet with a droid, unfortunately with Ezra left behind. Ketsu also escapes, and after a confrontation with Sabine with her personal ship, captures Chopper, and the two meet up to trade the droids. Their activity draws the attention of an Empire ship, and the two team up to escape by setting charges on the stolen ship. Sabine is knocked out and almost left to go with the ship, but Ketsu saves her, and the explosion allows them to fly the droid to a rebel location and then meet back up with Ezra and Hera before Ketsu leaves on better terms with Sabine. What'd you think? Yeah, this one
1: establishes some good backstory for Sabine—that um, mm-hmm. she was at the Imperial Academy, and her and Ketsu, I guess, went awol together. Yep, and tried joined Black Sun or tried to join Black Sun as bounty hunter slash assassin slash general bad doers. Right, and then and uh,
0: Black Sun for those who don't know is yet another of these criminal syndicates that we met quite a lot in um, Clone Wars, but also has been a little... I think, yeah, primarily in the Clone Wars, it was Darth Maul had come to run it.
1: Yes. Um, And and all these names, I get so confused because it's Black Sun and then Crimson Dawn, right? In the solo movie. So it's like color, some form of the the (laughs) sun's position. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So someday we'll get like, you know, blood blood red sunset or something like
0: that yeah exactly blue moon blue noon oh blue moon. um yeah i i like this episode a lot it, it's interesting because the main story is very much a cliche uh but not a bad one i mean i maybe i'll call it a trope but it's one that i, I quite like which is the you've got a character who's joined our heroes but they have a past with a capital p uh, yeah and then someone comes from their past and kind of doesn't understand why they're on the straight and narrow and kind of wants them to kind of like, you know, do one last job with them. And like, you know, this is everything from um, like in Star Trek Voyager. I just watched an episode where um, Neelix has someone like has this happen to him and like it, it happens again and again. But it's a fun dynamic of cause it's kind of a way of testing, like how much has this person left that life behind versus how much are they like, you know, uh, fully in this new world that they're getting to. And, you know, as it often is, the Ketsu person winds up playing some shenanigans, which kind of traps Sabine into it. And I really like that it it, it shows so much of Sabine's character, I think, showing how she does still have this connection and that they both were kind of like anti the Empire, but that in some ways she kind of had a journey similar to Ezra's. Of She started out just kind of out for herself, but then kind of came to understand that there was a better cause to fight for and and signed up with that.
1: Yeah, I see what you're saying about the the trope, but at least mm-hmm. they don't go full into the trope where it's it's like the past comes and that comes to collect, right? Yeah, like you owe me for that time that I saved you, so now I'm to collect. And...
0: She never has to betray right. the ghost crew. Exactly. She never has to like yeah. So it, it it you're definitely right. It doesn't go that far, which is I think another way of uh, that I like about it.
1: Yeah, and in fact by the end of it Sabine kind of turns the tables on Ketsu and and mm-hmm. gets Ketsu to see her point of view and right. she doesn't fully join the crew um but we will see more of her character later on in the show Yeah
0: it it's very much a like you know I'll like I, she doesn't quite say I'll be back but it's very much yeah. said like you know hopefully we'll work with you again kind of thing This this episode
1: um, sets up a future ally yeah. for them
0: uh, Gina Torres is awesome, as always. You know, I mean, I think she's a great person to play this character. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: she, she um, for this for fandom, she's probably best known as uh, Captain Zoe Wash from Firefly.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's been in a bunch of things, but I think that's definitely the, the thing that, that we get most. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The one question that I had from this, though, is, like... I have been expecting Sabine is about, like, she feels like she's close enough to Ezra's age that, like, they're part of the kids. And, like, Ezra's flirting with her enough Mm. that, like, I think so. If Ezra's 15, I thought she's, like, 17, 18. Was she, like, 13 when she was a bounty hunter? Like, I just don't know. (laughs) Like, you know. um, Right, because
1: she would have had to go to the Imperial Academy, right, be accepted to it. And at least have some time there, and then wash mm-hmm. out and then be a criminal, right, and then join the ghost crew so yeah it's a it's kind of a tight timeline. she mm-hmm. could still be you know like in her late teens, i suppose
0: i you know maybe I mean, early twenties like, like uh, the academy has always been presented as kind of like a college, you know, you finish school yeah. and you go off to the academy, but <clears throat> yeah, so. But it's not same, a big deal, but it was definitely something that was a little eyebrow raising. Of like, how ha, ha, how old is she?
1: Yeah. At the same time, though, we did like Ezra infiltrates um, some cadet academy, right? So mm-hmm. it, I, I think it's open to interpretation as to what it, yeah. what they mean by Imperial Academy and that's how fair. long how long that process takes. Because certainly like, there I mean, are, there are younger kids.
0: Yeah, that's definitely fair. That's definitely fair. Uh, also fun that we got introduced, the other droid is uh EG is E G eighty six. Um it is it is a gonk of the um for those who fell in love with gonk as many of us did in the uh Bad Batch, it's that same same type. Uh you also saw this type of droid getting tortured in Job of the Hut's palace, uh in uh it's... Return of the Jedi, so we we've seen it quite a lot. You did also see um Fennec, Fennec Shan dispatch one without mercy, yeah. uh, you know, in Boba Fett, which I was quite sad with her about, but Gonks That's are my favorite.
1: Time. Very, very they're unironically. Really they really they great. look like trash cans. Like, originally, the original design was probably just a trash can that they attached, mm-hmm. like, feet on or something. And they just walk around kind of awkwardly. And they're just fun. They're always in the background yeah. of stuff. Uh, similar to the mouse droid, you know, from the Death Star. Is like another mm-hmm. staple of just, like, in-the-background droid. Yeah, and it gets
0: to be kind of a main character in this episode doesn't do anything i guess <clears throat> but it, it's clearly important and it and chopper definitely have a nice kind of it's it's i remember in clone wars there were some episodes that were like a bunch of droids all working together that were kind of painful and yes we haven't had that in rebels but we at least get the like chopper and a chopper working with another droid is always a lot of fun yeah so i about appreciate that
1: Ga- gascon episodes oh yeah oh, oh, the droid
0: all right, so let's uh, move right past that to, I think, the episode you were talking about, Episode 9, Stealth Strike. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to re- read the summary for this one? Okay. Stealth Strike. Ezra and Commander Sato are captured when a
1: new Imperial weapon, an experimental interdictor cruiser, generates a gravity well strong enough to pull ships out of hyperspace. Hera sends Kanan, Rex, and Chopper to rescue them using a stolen shuttle, stormtrooper armor, and Rex's knowledge of Imperial codes and protocols to infiltrate the cruiser, although Kanan's lingering distrust of Rex initially hampers the mission. Ezra and Chopper head to the reactor to sabotage the cruiser, but Rex is captured as he and Kanan escort Sato and his crew to their shuttle. Kanan heads back to rescue Rex, and they deploy an escape pod, as chopper sabotage causes the gravity well projectors to overload, pulling the other imperial, imperial cruisers towards the Interdictor
0: and destroying it. So, I don't know if you had this reaction, but um, part of why I was so excited about this, and I'm guessing for you as well, uh, we've talked before about the, the first real set of the sort of Star Wars novels that are now part of the Star Wars Legends canon. They're not mm-hmm. official canon, but they're still very beloved. Which are the heir to the Empire books by Timothy Zahn? Like yes. there had been novelizations of the original movies, but these were the first like new content. And in those books, one of the pieces of tech that Zahn introduces are these things called interdictor cruisers. Which the idea is that they like this screw with gravity, and so they can pull a ship out of hyperspace. And you think about just how big hyperspace is. It, it, it there's a bit of eye rolling in this narrative, but they're so good in the book that you're fine with it. And I remember when I saw it, like I was, I it took me a second or two the first time I watched it, but then I started to click, like, wait a minute, this is from Timothy's on. Does this mean we're starting to get parts of that universe? Does this mean we might get Admiral Thrawn? Hmm. And I, I don't think I'm spoiling anything because it's all over the publicity for the show. Uh, but Admiral Thrawn does show up later, I believe, in this season, yes. and 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 so to me just to me this was that that first i think it was very intentional this was a first indication of like it's not exactly going to be the same we're not making those novels canon but we are bringing things from those novels into this show and i was so excited for it yeah so i am not there's a there's some conflicting
1: information about the origin of the interdictor cruiser uh, as you mm. mentioned it it was very prominent in the heir to the empire novel trilogy Mm-hmm. But it was all. It also appeared in the source book for the Star Wars role playing game, okay. which may which may have preceded the novels by a year or two. So it's That's possible. It, it's very possible that someone within Star Wars was had developed this and had mm-hmm. talked to to Zahn about it. You know, while he was writing the novel, and they came out at at different times. But yeah. whatever, like this is we're talking like early nineties. That's that's when this started. And right. it yeah, the it's got four big like half domes on a triangular, like star destroyer type shell, and those are the mm-hmm. gravity wells. And it basically simulates the gravity of a celestial body like a star and forces ships to come out of hyperspace because Ships in Star Wars have a safety that prevents them from, like, if if you try to plot a course through a star, you're not going to be able to do that because you're going to get pulled out of hyperspace by your your safety because it senses right. the gravity. And that's right. what the, these interdictors do is they simulate that that amount of gravity and literally pull ships out of hyperspace. And for you, you were saying as to the effectiveness of this. You kind of have to like buy into the whole hyperspace lane
0: mm-hmm.
1: theory that you can't just go fly around, you know, at hyperspace everywhere. That there are specified lanes that a, a are safe, right? They're plotted courses through space right. around all the stars, and so that's where most people fly. So if you right. know. <clears throat> That there is a hyperspace lane, you know, between Coruscant and Tatooine that is frequented. Then you can drop an interdictor cruiser there, turn on your gravity well, and then stop whoever is yeah, coming it, through there.
0: It's kind of the equivalent of, like, you know, you know uh, cutting down a tree across a major highway. You know, yeah. something like that. <clears throat> and it's – I will also say for anybody who wants to get a lot deeper into the, like – theory and physics and idea of hyperspace the high republic books um the ability to build and create hyperspace lanes is actually a very big part of those books mm-hmm. um it goes over my head sometimes because <clears throat> i'm just not that that the it, it seems a little bit like how many angels can dance on the head of a pin but if, if you're into that stuff at least to me but if you're really into that stuff definitely recommend those books but yeah, yeah i just um so even okay so we have the awesome tech um Even beyond that, though, there's just so much that happened in this episode.
1: Yeah, the stuff with Kanan and Rex, for me, continues to be some of the best parts of Mm -hmm. this season. Because all these feelings that we have about uh, the Clone Wars cartoon and -hmm. the stuff that happened in the prequel movies, it's kind of circling back to that, right? Like clones and Jedi working together. But in this case, they, they both mistrust, distrust each other. Yeah. Because of the past.
0: Yeah. There's so much mistrust. And I mean, Caven even specifically says that it, it is a kind of like, you know, group feeling like it's not that he has specific things about Rex. It's that he doesn't trust troopers. He hates troopers. I think he says specifically. And <clears throat> it, it it for me, it ties in again, something that I, I'm going to keep coming back to and, and does actually tie into Book of Boba Fett in a way we'll talk about uh, in a couple weeks. Like, if you think about all the things that Yoda and Obi Wan and the, in the in the prequels, like all the Jedi Masters were always saying, like you need to be a good Jedi, Kanan doesn't do any of them. Like this is emotion all over the place. Kanan has no sense of peace about Rex or the Troopers, and and I just think it's really interesting because they're not they're to me Kanan in all these debates about like you know. What what went wrong with the Jedi? What did the Jedi look like after Order 66? I just think Kanan is such a fascinating character because he is kind of a Jedi and he's definitely a good, you know, he's a, a light force user who mostly is able to avoid any temptation of the dark side. But by every standard that Yoda and Obi-Wan and Mace Windu and all them set, he'd be thrown out of the order. He's terrible. Yeah.
1: He's in a relationship with Hera. Mm-hmm. Is another is another factor that would work against him. In right. the order,
0: he acts on his attachments to it. I mean, he would have you know he goes to Bespin without a single question asked. You know, I mean, he go, acts on his attachments all the time.
1: Yeah, because this this group is a family to him, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. one of the bigger messages of this show.
0: Right. Another thing that I like that this episode did, and this is kind of a, I think it's a nice parallel to that. Uh, of showing kind of the 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 strain between the former Jedi and the former clones is you get uh kind of what's happening on the same dynamic in the empire in that there's a tension clearly between the military like you remember from like a new hope the military who are like oh vader that's a that's an ancient religion, your dedication to it you know this this death star is now the more powerful thing. You see that again here, where there's this this new admiral who wants to kind of like take control of everything and and he just he won't believe that Bridger is actually a real threat, you know he's like as a jedi, what's the big deal? We can take care of it and it, it's kind of hilarious how wrong he's proven, but I also just liked the um you know seeing that same tension between the military and like Vader and those who respect the force
1: yeah, and i I thought it was very interesting because the admiral calls uh agent Mm callus and then callus is the one who warns him you know keep an eye on ezra bridger and the admiral's like oh he's just a kid right so yeah like not just between the military and the jedi but even in the military the the imperial military is very political Mm -hmm. you do not necessarily get advanced on the merits of your skill Right. As a tactician or as a leader of your troops, so the people people in the Imperial military are always jockeying for position. And if someone else fails, that's actually good for you because that might open yeah. up a spot somewhere.
0: If you think about, for those who've seen Rogue One, the politics between um, Grand Moff Tarkin and Director Krennic—you know—is that that's throughout the Empire all this time. It's really fun. Uh, what else? What else about this episode kind of jumped out at you? What's worth commenting on? Well, it, I guess it wouldn't be a
1: tech thing if we didn't talk about the no handrails in the reactor room. It is <laughs> again
0: like why? the lack of safety protocols anywhere in the empire. Like worker safety is I, just not taken care of. I actually have a new
1: kind of question or, or complaint about this. Sure. Right, Ezra goes into the reactor room. Ezra and Chopper go into the reactor room to sabotage it. Ezra is the distraction while Chopper does the reprogramming of the stuff that eventually leads to the gravity wells overloading. While Ezra is distracting the technicians who were working in there, they just pull out blasters and start shooting at him. The -hmm. technicians are carrying (laughs) blasters, Matthew, in the (laughs) reactor room like that's not safe like why does the average <laughs> you know like you think about in in the modern military right like a ship like a aircraft carrier you don't just have average people walking around the aircraft carrier with guns right like those are put away somewhere safe and you right. only get them or, or only certain people have them a- at all times
0: right yeah like the person who's doing like the the um you know janitorial work at a military base like they might be a soldier but like they're probably not carrying a you know pistol with them at that they don't have the m16 as they're cleaning out the latrines you know um and yeah the tech work i imagine would be the same thing it's you know work the empire it just i don't think there's many unions in the empire you know i don't think like worker safety regulations are just it's just not taken very seriously
1: Well, I think what this points to is how well-known it is, how easy it is to infiltrate an Imperial ship. So you just, like, you have to constantly worry about saboteurs and rebels. (laughs) So all your technicians need to carry blasters because you never— Everyone has
0: to be ready. You never know. At a moment's notice. I do—I mean, speaking of sneaking in, though, I do really like Chopper in disguise. That was a really fun moment. Oh, yeah, the black. Like, Ezra doesn't even recognize who it is. And you do get by the by the end of this episode a really nice moment of kind of Kanan and Rex. Like, it, like I appreciate that the first episode where they had stress, they didn't resolve it immediately. But it also you can't keep it going forever. And so I like that now they've let it have like three or four episodes where this was a thing. And now in this one, like they really do help each other. They really come to learn to trust each other. And, and now like, you know, Kanan's able to salute him and Rex is able to kind of acknowledge Kanan. And it, it, it was a really touching moment, I thought.
1: Yeah, for me, the touching moment was was when Kanan goes back for him
0: while mm-hmm. Rex is
1: being tortured or, or about to yeah. be tortured, and the Admiral says something like, no one will miss you anyway, something like that, and Kanan yeah. says, I will, or I would.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a nice moment. Also, um, is it Commander Sato? S- S- Sato or Sato, I forget. Sato. Sato. Uh, I forget his rank, but he's kind of a dick in this episode like he's really kind of mean to Ezra he's he's not he like I like that not everybody in the rebellion is a saint and some people are just you know military and they're nose to the grindstone and like he's clearly a good fighter and a good tactician but he he's such a contrast to to like our our gang of heroes Hmm. he does not see everybody as a family he sees this as a military and you know we're going to protect our own but if you fall in battle you fall and we've got to win the victory not go rescue you
1: yeah, and we saw, but we saw Ezra kind of butt into stuff earlier, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, on the on the bridge of a ship, and not adhere to the proper proto- the military protocols. Mm-hmm. So that that's a tension that has existed for a bit. Yeah, and I al- I also feel like there might be a little bit of anti Jedi bias.
0: I mean, I think there, I think that definitely is. And and by the end, again, Sato has also kind of seen the light. Because yeah. by the end, he's like. Ezra just like mows down a whole group and at the end right.
1: like, okay, Ezra, you can do this. Yeah. Like and I think Sato prior to this understood and at least respected Kanan. But then right. like this kid? Like you're telling me this kid is special? No, come on. Like yeah. there was some of that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Alright, well anything else on this episode. In addition
1: to the fun tech stuff, this episode was really funny, I thought. Yeah. There were a lot of jokes in here that kind of broke the fourth wall and played you know winked at the audience
0: In my opinion. they at one point say um they're they're putting on stormtrooper armor and they say this armor doesn't protect us from anything yeah exactly. it's just like yes thank you finally acknowledge it that armor is totally useless there was that i think rex
1: takes off the helmet and he's like i can't see out of this thing uh-huh and, and yeah like those parts just like
0: why why why
1: are the stormtroopers like this yeah it was very yeah. funny and there was I so think... much
0: of that. There's there a lot of just Chopper being Chopper in both. I mean, he kind of almost gets Ezra killed. He's kind of, you know, also kind of terrible, but in hilarious ways that just really fit what, what Chopper is supposed to be. There was also a line
1: earlier when they are talking about the rescue mission. Like,
0: we'll we'll go
1: in this stolen Imperial shuttle. And they're like, why do they keep letting us steal these things? <laughs> right? Like, these, these kinds of shows, there's always a stolen vehicle, you know, you've always got the other team's armor on hand so you can go in disguise. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of, you know, winks at the audience about those things.
0: Exactly. All right, let's uh, jump into our last episode of the day. Uh, episode 9. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, 10? Episode 10, yeah. Uh, Ahsoka informs Kate Let me do that again. All right, so let's jump into episode 10, the last one for today. Ahsoka informs Kanan that she's continuing her investigation on the Sith Lord Darth Vader, but finding information on him is difficult. In the meantime, she receives word of two sets of coordinates that cross the Imperial Net. She heads to look into one of them while dispatching Kanan, Ezra, Zeb, and Chopper to the other. Ahsoka arrives at her location first, a ransacked passenger ship adrift in space, and finds signs of weapon damage all over. The lone survivor, a grandmother, claims that two Red Blades kidnapped her grandchild from her and disappeared. Ahsoka informs the team at their destination on a distant planet that the two Inquisitors are involved. Zed and Chopper locate the Inquisitors' fighters at the spaceport and reclaim the baby stored in one before destroying them, while Kanan and Ezra find the distressed mother of the second child, who's a Ithorian, by the way, the race that was formerly referred to as Hammerheads, but we are using their proper name the authorians chopper takes the first child to the phantom shuttle while zeb encounters the inquisitors on the street after leaving a fleeting droid of the second baby kanan zeb and ezra discover that the children are force sensitive and were targeted by the inquisitors to ensure they do not become jedi They attempt to lose the inquisitors through a housing block on their way back to the shuttle but they're overpowered by them ahsoka appears and easily defeats both of the inquisitors while the rest escape Using the force to jump up and join them in the shuttle as it passes overhead, the rebels escape, but not before one of Seventh Sister's probe droids hears Ezra say they're going to the planet Garol
1: Garrell, I think. Garrell, thank how you, they thank pronounce
0: you. It. <clears throat> My pronunciations, names, planets, all of it. <laughs> and I need
1: to correct this summary it Go says for it. ahsoka appears and easily defeats both the both of the inquisitors ahsoka appears and just absolutely goes off and kicks their butts is what mm-hmm. happens it is one of my favorite scenes i think from all of rebels mm-hmm. uh when the when the doors open to the hangar bay i think it's maybe like even a little foggy or there's some smoke and then Ahsoka comes out of it with her her two blades, mm-hmm. two white blades. It, it's just beautiful. And then she just
0: it, it's it's very much clowns that. Clowns <clears throat> Vader at the end of Rogue One that that was then mirrored with Luke at the end of Mandalorian season two. Yeah, it's definitely that kind of like this is kind of our well not with Vader but like our hero has arrived. But also it's kind of terrifying. <laughs> like yeah, and if, you're right. It it, it it Go ahead.
1: Well, I was just gonna say if you have lightsabers. Get your – invest in a smoke machine and just carry yes. it around wherever you go.
0: <laughs> I like it. I like it. And, and I think it's – I mean I love things like this where like you establish one person's level by showing what someone else can do. You know? Mm. Compared to – as I mean Kanan is a very capable Jedi.
1: Nice, yeah.
0: But I think we forget sometimes that like Kanan's last time training with someone else was when he was like seven or eight years old. Whereas Ahsoka like <clears throat> trained with Anakin – <clears throat> well into her days as a Padawan. Like, I think they were starting to talk about her maybe being ready to train, to be to leave being a Padawan and become a Jedi Knight at the time that, you know, she had to leave the Jedi Order. And she is just, like, Kanan does his best, but kan- Kanan is good enough to, like, hold them off so they can escape. And then Ahsoka comes in and is just so clearly so much above where Kanan is, especially compared to them. And yeah. it's, And it's also nice to see them, that, like, we've... We've been seeing them look, you know, they're kind of the JV squad, you know, and against amateurs, they look great. But when someone like Ahsoka comes in, it's game over.
1: Yeah, this is, I'm glad you brought that up because to me, that just reminds me of classic Dragon Ball stuff where mm-hmm. you have the group of cetera characters, Yamcha, yep. Tenshinhan, Chiaosu, uh Kuririn. And they have their adventure and they beat some of the, you know, like mini bosses, but then you get, get to the, the big boss and they all get defeated and, you know, like Vegeta has to show up and then Goku has to show up, right? Like, so yeah, absolutely. Like establishing that these villains are the real thing. Mm-hmm. They defeat Kanan and Ezra handily. And then Ahsoka shows up.
0: Yeah. And she takes them both on. And I think, uh, my memory's not perfect, but am I right that this is the first time, like, since Ahsoka rejoined Rebels, she's often been in the background, she, like, helps out a bit, she was Fulcrum, she is Fulcrum, Um, she gives advice, but we haven't seen her, like, jump into a battle, and I think this is the first time we've seen her lightsabers, and that her lightsabers are white.
1: Yeah.
0: Am I right about that? correct, yes. Yeah. And, And there's all sorts, I mean, There's all sorts of debate about why the lightsabers are white that you can get into. But I think clearly it's supposed to represent in part that she is a Force user. She's on the light side, but she is not a Jedi. Well, Well, or at least that she's distinctly different because these are not the lightsabers. Well, in part because, remember, at the end of Clone Wars, she buried her lightsabers at the crash because she wanted the Empire... Uh, uh, including possibly Anakin slash Vader, although she didn't even know that about him, but she wanted the Empire to think that she died. So yeah, so she she had to make new lightsabers. Yeah. And the Ahsoka novel is considered
1: canon. Is it? Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. Yeah. So we know that that's where she gets these lightsabers. She right. is on a planet and defeats two inquisitors there and mm-hmm. takes their lightsabers and frees the kyber crystals of their corruption so it kind of establishes that the sith corrupt kyber and that's why they turn red
0: right so yeah these are kind of like purified so like they've lost all their color they're just pure white yeah so but
1: it is also visually i think works well with what you're saying about Mm -hmm. her not really being on either side
0: right yeah she's definitely fairly different distinct there In the
1: same way that at the end of Rise of Skywalker, I really loved that Ray's lightsaber was yellow, and it suggested a new path forward.
0: I'm going to choose not to engage, because I I, I like that one point, but I feel like the whole rest of the movie betrays that. It's part of why I hate that movie so much, because I feel like the rest of the movie betrays that, but that's that's a discussion for another time. Hate, Um, Hate is
1: such a strong word.
0: You know, it is, but sometimes you just gotta, um, I I appreciate that people love it. I will never say you're a bad Star Wars fan for liking it. I'll never say anyone's wrong for liking it. I just, it, it it makes me like thinking about it makes me angry. I just, it, it, uh, anyway. But that's why Um,
1: you have to think about the parts that don't make you angry. And I, (laughs) I, at least I hope that you're like me. Like I, I loved seeing that yellow lightsaber and I love that they don't explicitly like say why it's yellow. And it leaves something for us to be like interpret for ourselves like this is what I think that means.
0: To me, it, it I, I wasn't able to get that because I felt like she had so clearly put herself as a Jedi, you know, so that there wasn't any like – again, this, this is a longer discussion. But yeah, I, I – I, there's a lot – there are some different moments in that movie that I loved. I get why that moment would be very powerful for someone who had, who had enjoyed some of the stuff up to that. For me, everything about how she had kind of been, like, anointed by the Jedi and, like, the one true Jedi as just a, like, as though the second movie just didn't exist, it, it, the color of her lightsaber just it, – it didn't fit. It just didn't work for me. Um But – anyway. Um, if Um I, I, I don't want to claim the last word. If you want to respond to that at all, go ahead and then we'll, we can pull back to Rebels.
1: No, I, I mean – I I enjoyed
0: it. That's all I, Good. I wanted. No, it's awesome. Say I, I, it. I'm glad you did. I'm definitely glad you did. And I like. And I, it is fun to see. Like I think there definitely is a connection there. And it is fun to see more Jedi or more more lightsaber side, more lightsaber uses getting to play with things that aren't just blue, red, blue, red, and green, um, the way we often have. Um, and purple. And purple. Somewhat, <laughs> yeah, and purple. To be sure. All right. Anyway, so pulling us back to this. Um, Let's also talk about Zeb like we haven't really gotten an episode that focuses on Zeb and we don't really get much of his backstory or anything like that. It's not like a complete Zeb episode, but there's a nice kind of like five minute series where Zeb is dealing with the uh, first just with the baby because he, he, he Zeb to me is the epitome of the grumpy old uncle, you know, who will be like, ah, babies. I don't want to deal with a kid. I don't know what to do with a kid. But we'll be wonderful with kids, you know? And and there's a great thing with him rescuing the kid and then him dealing with the Inquisitors. And I, I just really liked getting to see a lot of Zeb time. Yes, Zeb...
1: We've been missing Zeb for a couple of episodes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this was a good way to come back to him and to establish more of his character, that he's not mm-hmm. just the muscle of this group. I mm-hmm. think it it is slowly developing that he really is kind of the heart in in some ways of, the, of yeah. the group.
0: Yeah, I think so. And he's very grumpy about it, but he really is, you know. Um and and so that was really fun. Uh you get this whole thing about how Jedi are supposed to be good with kids because they can make a connection with him and so Ezra has some connection, but but that was kind of fun. Um falling damage just doesn't seem to exist in star wars like we once again have people jump off a roof fall 50 feet land in a speeder and are totally okay i don't get it it makes no sense but fair enough
1: and again like some fun humor where they they land in the speeder and i think zeb is the one who says something about like oh like you, you had us land in a speeder like great plan And Kanan's like, uh no. (laughs) Just a coincidence.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean Kanan was just like, look, if we stay in this room, we're definitely gonna die. If I jump out this window, something something different. Yeah, I mean it's that kind of like we're gonna jump off this bridge and then we'll deal with the next problem. The problem is that we'll be falling, but we'll deal with that one next, you know? So I did appreciate that. Right. And and that is the
1: kind of thing that happens on TV shows and movies all the time. Although it's usually
0: a truck, an open-bed truck with trash in the back yeah. to soften
1: the, the landing.
0: And I will say the absolute best version of that is in Better Off Dead, a a 1980s, uh, just a fantastic like teen comedy romance. It's kind of a satire of all of them. John Cusack gets thrown out into a garbage can, falls very far, but he lands in a garbage can. And a couple of uh, uh, garbage workers watch this happen like, ain't it a pity, throwing out a perfectly good white boy. <laughs> it, it's just a hilarious moment in the movie. Um. Anyway, we're on tangent land. It's funny that we've talked about this episode, but we haven't talked like the main kind of theme of this episode is kind of horrific. Like, not in a, not in like I'm upset at it, but you know, just kind of like the depravity and depth that the empire is falling to. That they're they're kidnapping babies because they're force sensitive to try to kind of like steal them for you know make sure they don't become Jedi. Yes.
1: Well, this is an ongoing theme for Mm -hmm. Sheev's empire right Uh, in the clone wars there was a couple of episodes or one episode where he hires cad bane to go steal some potential younglings Mm -hmm. and takes them to mustafar right and for those of you who are now you know catching up on on the doings of cad bane that's one of the things that he did is he kidnapped babies and i am very against star wars uh you know the star wars universe calling people like him bounty hunters he's not a bounty hunter y'all he's he's just a straight up mercenary assassin Mm -hmm. and terrorist
0: yeah yeah he is a he is a criminal for hire if you want him to hunt a person and then pay him for it then technically he's gotten a bounty but you know and i'm sure like because lic- ha- there's licenses for Bounty Hunters. I'm sure he got started as that. But then quickly people realized, like, he doesn't have a code. He doesn't have a, like, you just, you know, you pay him enough, he'll do whatever you want.
1: Yeah. Uh, the video <clears> game <throat> Jedi Fallen Order dealt with a holocron that had information on the whereabouts of all the, well, I don't know about all, but lots of potential yeah. Force users in the galaxy. There was also a comic book. That I don't know if it's canon, um, but it deals with um, a similar thing right after mm-hmm. the fall of the Republic. Right, um, It's probably canon because it features the, the Grand Inquisitor. I believe the Grand Inquisitor breaks into the temple and fights the that library, right. Jocasta New, mm-hmm. over the whereabouts of this holocron.
0: Yeah, I think I remember not reading that, but reading about it, and and it's also just nice because I think it it's another one of those a lot of the things that clone that that um, rebels especially is doing and Bad Batch did this too in gentle ways they're retconning some things that didn't quite fit you know because C- for example if you just watch the prequels and then the original movies you kind of get the sense that like Order sixty six not only did they kill all the Jedi. But they killed, they killed the whole possibility of people becoming Force users because mm-hmm. it's sort of like Luke and Leia are the only two ones who could even become Jedi. And, and so I like that this is like, yeah, no. I mean, those were the ones who they knew about and they were Skywalkers. But there's actually a lot of – kids are still being born with Force powers. Yeah. Um, well, as long I, as they keep putting midichlorians in the water. Oh, whoops. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do also really like that um, – Clearly what the Sith are doing is far worse than anything the Jedi have ever done. But, you know, stealing babies from their families to either make sure they're not Jedi, but even more so maybe raise them as your version of Force users. The Jedi, like, get the permission of the parents, in theory, when they basically take babies and toddlers away to go raise them as Jedi. Yeah, But in a lot of the stories, they also kind of make clear that, like, you know, not the most consensual kind of situation in terms of like parents feeling a lot of pressure to do it, or like they're going to harm their child by doing it. So, or like, like
1: hand waving, like literal hand waving, right? Like wave yeah. my hand, your your child will be safe with us.
0: Yeah, exactly. Which is at that point, there's no consent whatsoever. It's just mind control. Mm-hmm. And and so I did like have a you, you kind of look at what the Sith are doing. You're like, that's horrific. and That's wrong. And that the Jedi would no, the Jedi kind of did that. Not not to not not to the same degree to, an ex- to be sure. But but. Something like this,
1: yeah. Yes. The Jedi did not murder everyone else on the ship.
0: Yeah. And then you do get, though, at the end, just to kind of, like, you know, we saw Zeb is good with kids, though he doesn't want to be. Ezra can, like, mind touch, I guess, through the Force some of these kids, but he's not the best. But in the last couple scenes, it's never mentioned, but we see the two babies being held and danced around and spun around. And they're both laughing and giggling by the best babysitter in the Star Wars universe chopper <laughs> and i just that made me very happy
1: uh good stuff
0: yeah all right i think that's about all i had for this episode i think more you had on this one or these episodes in general
1: nothing really i mean i guess just i love having the seventh sister confronting Kanan mm-hmm. just because of the uh the voice actors mm-hmm. sarah michelle geller and freddie prince jr real life couple
0: Oh, I hadn't even connected that. Okay. Yeah. That's really cool. How do you That's think really she cool? got on this show? I don't know,
1: actually. But
0: I mean I wouldn't <laughs> surprise me if he's
1: like, hey, we got this gig.
0: Yeah, no, I could see that. I could see that. So all right. Well, um, Riki, this is one I always ask um, for people who want to hear more of your stuff. What are I know you're tweeting every now and then. Um, actually uh, should I even do a promo thing for you or should we just skip it since Yeah. I don't know. Like Skip it. Okay. All right. Well, Ricky, as always, thank you so much. Um, So Sarah, Sarah couldn't join us and I hope she's feeling better, but it was great to have you on. To our fans, what do you all think about what we talked about? What do you, how are you loving this show? If you're seeing it for the first time, kind of watch along with us. If You've already seen it before, or if you haven't seen the show, but you're just following along listening to us, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, You can find all our contact information by going to theethicalpanda.com. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, email. We'd love to hear from you. There you can also find information on all the other podcasts I do, uh, check all of that out. You can check out all the other great podcasts we're a part of on the of Panda Podcast Network. So I'm half myself, Riki. Thank you all so much for tuning in and have a great day. <laughs> there we go. There we go.